are celebrating. Uh, we are celebrating. There we go. We're celebrating. We're celebrating. Uh, we had high school camp this last week, an amazing time. God is doing great things in the high school ministry, and really three camps in a row, elementary school, middle school, and high school. And we have uh, several children, and our children are spread out. So I want to say as a parent, I am so grateful for all three camps and what God has done, what God is doing in the lives of the next gen here at church. And it was really a family effort because so many people here have served and prayed and helped with scholarships for kids so everyone can come to camp. It was amazing, and we thank God, we praise God. Such a great team as well for Next Gen. Also, if you haven't noticed, we have Grace Cafe open again. And if you're new, you don't know where Grace Cafe is. When you leave these doors, you just, you'll see it on your left. It's a great place to hang out, get something to eat, get something to drink, linger, meet a few people. We just want this to be an environment where we can enjoy each other, enjoy our time here. And there's a full team serving in Grace Cafe uh, before and after services now Sunday morning. So we celebrate. We're coming back to life continually coming back from this pandemic. And uh, yeah, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay, we're in a series right now, Joy of Serving, the Joy of Serving, Learning When to Say No. Amen? Is that not so important in life, such a key in a relationship with God? Learning when to say no. This book today is the book of 2 John. It's the shortest book in the Bible. We're going to go through a whole book together today, all 13 verses. Shortest book in the Bible, yet God has a lot to say in a, in a small number of verses. 2 John, you can find it near the end of your Bible if you brought a Bible. It's right after 1 John, right before 3 John logically, efficiently, makes it easier to find right there. Second John, or on your phone, you can just type in Second John. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your goodness to us. We know you are a good God. And Lord, the main reason we know, we think of your death and your resurrection. And Jesus, we're here to praise you. We're here to know you, to trust you, to follow you to realize the purposes you have for our lives, to see you transform our hearts, our relationships, our city. God, there's no limits to what you can do. And God, we're here to worship. We're here to say yes. And we want to grow in our faith and our relationship with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We need love and discernment. We need both. We can have both. Both are available. This is God's heart for us as we walk with him, that we would walk in love, walk in discernment, walk in truth. And this is John's heart as he writes this letter. John is the human instrument writing the letter. The Holy Spirit is writing through John. And we love to dive into scripture here at Grace and all ages, all ministries, we get into God's word. And there's an acronym that we use. It's the acronym SOAP. Starting with scripture is the S, O is observe, a is apply the scripture. What does it mean for our life today? And P is let's bathe it in prayer. Let's continue to pray and rely on God. That acronym right there. So we're going to do that together today. We have a scripture, 2 John. We're going to make lots of observations together. Observe it as we go through this passage. Apply. Listen to God. What is God saying to you individually? What is God saying to us together? Let's prayerfully walk through this as we listen to God. And that habit right there of getting in the Bible 
every day. I can't think of a better habit. Habits are important. They make space and room in, with, in our relationship with God for more of his presence in our lives. In God's word, we need more than food during the day, the Bible says. We need more than just food. We need God's word. It renews our mind. It changes our perspective. And we want to draw close to God in his word. I encourage you, just like we need you know, physical soap, daily for our bodies let's get in the word and you can listen to the word study the word read the word but let's get the word deep into our souls may the word of god dwell in us richly as we dive in today we're taking a look at second john and let's start verse one the elder to the chosen lady and her children whom i love in the truth and not only i but also all who know the truth because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth just as the Father has commanded us. John is writing this letter, and he wrote five of the 66 books in the Bible. John is one of the original 12 apostles. He's the only one who wasn't killed. He's the only one who didn't die as a martyr. Now, the date of this book, some people think it's early, maybe 60 AD. Others would pick a later date, like 90 AD. And as John writes this, and as he writes the other books, uh, he's writing not... I don't think he's writing to an individual lady, but I think he's writing to the church when he says a lady, a church. Sometimes we say she for a nation, or we say she for a city, and you think of the bride of Christ. He's writing, some people think to an individual lady. I would say uh, in this context, it's to the church. He says, dear chosen lady. And you might have noticed a word that was repeated five times. It's the word truth. It's good to have a passion for the truth. In your relationship with God, it's good to know truth and have a passion for the truth. Jesus is the truth, and the truth sets us free. And John is talking about truth, 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 and truth. And why would he emphasize truth? Two reasons. One, the amount of false teaching during that time, it was spread so widely that people needed to know what the truth was. And we live in a time where there is so much false teaching, we need to know what the truth is. And secondly, truth is the foundation for love. You can't have real love unless you have truth. It has to be based in truth. Truth is that foundation for love. John's desire is to see children walking in the truth. You know, we have that desire collectively when we think of next gen or maybe children in your own family, grandchildren in your own family. But even more than biological age, uh, chronological age, this is children, people that he's led to the Lord or he's seen growing in their faith that they would continue to walk in the truth. Spiritual children as well. And when I think about, you know, the role of a parent, one of the greatest desires in my heart is that my kids would walk in truth and walk in love. And as a parent, you just think there's nothing you wouldn't do to help your kids walk in love and walk in truth. In John's heart, in his care for people, in his care for the relationship with God, is coming through in this letter. And there is a battle for truth. In our culture, in every nation, in every generation, there's a battle for truth. Truth on one side, half lies or full lies on the other side. And there's a battle, a lot of people try to ignore it or say it doesn't exist, but there's a battle between good and evil, 
between God and the devil, between light and darkness, right and wrong. In this battle, it's pervasive. And we need the Lord. We need his truth. We need his word. We need the Holy Spirit in this battle. And John is acknowledging the battle. He's emphasizing truth. Now let's take a look at verse 5 as we continue to observe the text. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. John is often called the apostle of love. It was Jesus who leaned back against John's chest. Uh, When you read John's letters, you see such an emphasis on love. You read the gospel of John, you see an emphasis on love. And when he says walk in love... That's not a new concept. Going back to Leviticus 19, you know, love your neighbor. It's not a new concept. But the newness for us is a greater expression of love, a greater experience of love. It might not be new for you to come today and hear love one another, but what can grow is how we love one another, a greater love that we have for other people. And that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, a greater love for other people. And love in the Bible is not primarily feelings. In our culture, sometimes we say, oh, I'm feeling love, or I fall into love, or I fall out of love, and we make it sound like feelings are primary. But in the Bible, when it comes to love, commitment is primary. We make a decision to love, and then it's shown through actions. Actions more than feelings. When you commit to love someone, sometimes in marriage you might hit a season where it's a little more difficult to love your spouse. And you can't just go by feelings and say, well, what am I feeling today? I'm not feeling as much love, so I guess I'm just going to retreat and there's going to be space and distance and hold some resentment. That's not going to be healthy for the relationship. But you said, you say, no, love is a commitment. I'm committing to love. I'm going to show it through actions. And when we go on dates and when I speak words of affirmation, when I serve, those actions, they, the feelings come later. And I think it's important that we don't just follow our feelings wherever they go, but we're committed to love one another. In this balance of love and truth, Jesus was full of grace and truth, full of love and truth. Sometimes we get full of truth and don't have a lot of love, right? And sometimes we're full of love and good intentions, but we've kind of watered down the truth and want to just please people and fit in. And it's difficult sometimes to stay committed to being full of love and full of truth. But this is Jesus, full of love and truth. This is how we want to live together. And loyalty to Jesus, love for Jesus, as you read 1 John in that letter, he would say, this is how you know. Because so many people during that time say, oh, Jesus, yeah, Jesus is cool. Oh, yeah, Jesus, I agree with Jesus. Oh, Jesus, oh, yeah, I love Jesus. And everyone's saying that kind of stuff. And yet he's saying, how do you really know? You know because their life honors Jesus. They obey Jesus. They follow Jesus. And you can see Jesus in them. It's not just lip service. It's not just showing up. It's actually following Jesus, imitating Jesus in love and in truth. And John sets that up because here's the reality. Take a look at verse 7. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh, they've gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Uh, Antichrist, there is one antichrist who's still coming, but 
against Christ. That's the meaning of the word, antichrist. When someone is against Christ, you could say antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in this wicked work. John says there's many deceivers. There were many people traveling around from city to city with a message that was destructive. Two things with this word deceivers. One, they're going to deny Jesus. And second, they're going to cause harm. They're going to cause people to stumble. They're going to cause people to have spiritual confusion. They're going to send a message that's detrimental spiritually. And John says, these people, they're loud. They're bold. They're traveling. They're spreading their message everywhere. And yet God protects us. In many ways, God protects us. God protects us with the word. He writes it down so we can read it, see it, know it, think about it. This protects us from a bunch of false teaching. Uh, The Holy Spirit protects you. When you put your trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, guides you into all truth. The Holy Spirit guides you and says, this is not from God. (laughs) This temptation doesn't have your name on it. Don't go down that road. This teaching, that's off base. That's not coming from God. The Holy Spirit will say, yes, this is good. This is from God. The Holy Spirit is actively guiding you into truth, always in alignment with the word, always glorifying Jesus. And then God sets up churches where there's accountability, life groups. Maybe you have a life group leader. Maybe you have a mentor. There's pastors, there's elders. Why do we have elders in the church? Because it's God's design in the Bible that there's many local churches, one body of Christ, many local churches. And elders, they have many roles, but one of the roles for the elders is to protect. If someone in the church is pulling someone else into sin and won't stop, you know, that's a situation where the elders, you know, can step in and and try to restore. The elders watch the teaching, making sure that it's doctrinally solid. That's the important role in all churches where there's elders. Elders in churches should not just be a board that, you know, just shows up once in a while, doesn't know what's going on, and just says yes to everything. Sure, that sounds good. No, elders are spiritually alert. They're leaders, and they're also protecting, protecting. So these are some of the ways that God protects, and there's many deceivers then. And the message here is that don't support the false teaching. Don't be naive about false teaching. Don't invest your money into false teachers. Don't say yes to every message that the world is spreading. And they take that in. And John finishes by saying, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your chosen sister send their greetings. Notice the phrase face to face. During the pandemic, there was a lot of time where we were missing that face-to-face connection. Face-to-face is significant. In marriage, yes, sometimes you're side by side, but so good to be face-to-face. Face-to-face in life groups. Face-to-face is when we see each other and we can talk, we can connect. Uh, Face-to-face is personal. Writing is okay. You know, texting has its place. But that connection, we need that. We need each other. We're made for each other. And there's joy when we connect and love one another. There's joy in relationship. Ministry is about relationship. Ministry is about connecting. And this is what John writes. 
That's a walkthrough. And when you open up the Bible, I hope you read it, walk through it, make observations, think, use your mind, love God with all your mind, and then let's shift and apply it. Let's take a look at three deeper questions today. Uh, Love and discernment. Here's the first question. What is undermining or distracting you? Another way of saying it is what is undermining or distracting the call of God on your life? What is undermining the gospel? What is distracting you from a gospel-centered life? Think about that. In what ways are you going sideways? In what ways are you even going backwards? It's easy to move in those directions. And sometimes false teaching is a big factor. The context here, as John writes, there was a group called the Gnostics. Gnosis in Greek means knowledge. And this was a group that, well, they just thought they had more knowledge and incredible knowledge and were a little better than everyone else. These were the Gnostics. And actually what they were doing was picking and choosing. They heard the message of Christianity and they brought in a little bit of that and then they brought in some other stuff and then they came up with their own stuff and then they added some of that philosophy over there and they whipped something up together that was not in alignment with God, heaven, and the Bible. And they're called the Gnostics. Now, in our culture... What's popular is to make things at home, right? Anyone here like to make coffee at home? Doesn't want to spend five, seven, eight dollars when you go out every time you think, I can make good stuff, I can make it just how I want to at home. There's a home brew that's popular when it comes to coffee. Some people have a home brew when it comes to beer. They want to make their own and they're excited about what they're making at home. Home brew, it's popular these days. Home brew with theology. And what I mean by that is people coming up with their own stuff. I have conversations. I ask people, what do you really believe? And I enjoy these conversations. I'm honored that people share. But sometimes it surprises me a little when they say, well, I'm kind of doing my own thing. I say, well, what exactly is your own thing? Well, I take a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and I take some of this, and I I don't know, I'm kind of unique. I just kind of have my own thing. It's my home brew. In terms of theology, it's how I like to make it. And I kind of have to step back for a second and just think, wait a second, you're saying that you've created something and no one else has it, and a lot of times, like, someone's very educated, they're intelligent, their profession is, you know, they've got a position, And they're thinking, I've created my whole thing about who God is, and I'm the only one who thinks this way, and it's my homebrew, and this is what I've got. And uh, it's well-intentioned, but do you see what's going on there, a homebrew? That's so common today, is people just picking and choosing, kind of a la carte coming up with a homebrew. And it can lead to dangerous messages in false teaching. The Gnostics, a couple things that stood out, they believed all matter was evil including our bodies. Uh, All matter is essentially evil, and this already deviates from the truth because, yes, there's sin in the world, but I'll tell you, all of us are made in God's image, and all of us are wonderfully made, and your body is not evil. And they said, well, all matter is evil, and these were the questions they were wrestling with. Who is Jesus? How could God be human? And how could God die? And those aren't easy questions. I mean, that's a lot to think through. And as they started to process those questions, they concluded, well, God can't really be human and die, so 
And this is where they're off base. They said Jesus was either kind of a phantom and maybe God just appeared for a little bit, or Jesus was human, but God just descended at baptism and then God was gone by the time there was a crucifixion because God can't die. And you can see in this intellectual guise, as many people today, they kind of sound philosophical and intellectual, and they completely removed who Jesus is, that he's fully God, he's fully human. And uh, in addition to that, they saw themselves as super spiritual, super intellectual, super spiritual. Have you ever had someone say something to you that's really off, and then they say, well, God told me. And you're like, how do I, what do I say? Or someone says, you know, something that's completely against the Bible and then says, well, I prayed about it. So you prayed about it and God told you. It takes me back to doing college ministry where I'd have many guys come to me and say, let's say there's one girl that they all like and they'll all come to me and say, well, God told me she's the one. (laughs) And I'm thinking, well, there's no way God's telling all the guys in this room that she's the one. Like, there's some static on the line, something's off base, and there's a lot of people who are well-intentioned, like, I think God's telling me, and actually, no, that totally goes against the Bible. And they saw themselves as super spiritual. Well, God's revealed it to me and nobody else. Well, I had a dream, and nobody else. God told me, and I know this, and I know that. And I'll tell you, it gets pretty new agey pretty quick. And in Christian circles, some people just pull out that, like, it's fact, and it's going against the Bible, but they're saying, God told me. So we see these uh, trends continue today, and it ultimately led to immorality because they thought they were so spiritual that what happens in the body doesn't matter. It's already evil instead in the body, and matter's evil, so they can just do what they want, and there was immorality everywhere. And I'll tell you this, whatever you believe theologically, it'll show up in how you live. Your theology will always lead to your theopraxis, And if your theology is off, your lifestyle will be off. If your lifestyle is off, it might be a good time to go back and just say, who is God? How great is God? How loving is God? How awesome is God? How holy is God? How reliable is God? Because when you get your theology right, it will bear so much fruit. And ultimately, they were denying Jesus' humanity. And that's why John writes in 1 John 1, We've seen Jesus, we've heard Jesus, we've touched Jesus. Jesus is human. He is God and he is human. And John writes in 1 John 4, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Are you testing the spirits today? Or are you just believing and accepting every spirit, every teaching, everything that people post on social media? It must be right because I like this person. Test the spirits to see whether they're from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And again, it's a heart of protecting because when you love, you want to protect. And uh, there's opposition to the gospel and to God. When you read throughout the Bible, you see this opposition. Nehemiah is doing a great work for God and here's Samballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. And what do they want to do? Spread lies, discourage, defeat, bring despair, stop, bully, intimidate. That's what they're trying to do. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, this great door has opened up for me in ministry to spread the gospel. But there are many who oppose it. Listen, when an opportunity comes, don't be surprised if you start to get criticized or someone undermines or someone slanders. 
God will open doors and there's false teaching and there's false prophets and that spirit right there, there's a battle in the spiritual realm that we see. I want to give you a couple uh, practical things in terms of classics with false teaching over, you know, the last 2,000 years. Here's a couple of them. When you hear these things, this is where you need to start to pay alert, be attention. Uh, let's, let's do this. Um, let's say pay attention and be alert. I think that's better. Uh, these are things that are yellow flags that you say, oh, no, 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 something's really off. When someone says Jesus is not the Messiah, they deny his humanity or they deny his deity. When someone says Jesus was created later, like he didn't always exist, that's false teaching. Jesus always existed. Yes, he became human about 2,000 years ago, but he always existed with the Father. The Father didn't create Jesus much later at some point. The Bible's not reliable. That's a classic. People putting their politics first and then twisting the Bible to try to fit and delete passages to fit their politics. Political idolatry is another classic with false teaching. Baptism is needed for salvation. That's false teaching. Uh, teaching that this is not grace-based, but it's performance-based, that you earn your way to heaven, that Jesus' grace is only a little part, but you've got to do the rest and perform in good works. The teaching that baptism is necessary for salvation. Um, I, I included that. The teaching that many groups will say is that only our little group, our little, little group, has the truth. Only our denomination is holy. Only our denomination is loved by God. Every other denomination is off base. When you have to be baptized in a certain denomination to make it to heaven, this is cult stuff. This is cult. You are God. That's another message. You are self-sufficient. You are supreme. Uh, all these false teachings, nothing new under the sun. Every generation, they look a little different, but they just keep coming. Here's something that uh, Barna found in research, and in terms of worldviews, how you view the world, how many people have heard of moralistic, therapeutic deism? Just curious, uh, that, that phrase, is that new? Or okay, I'm seeing some hands, uh, a few hands. Okay, moralistic, therapeutic deism. What is that? Moralistic, there's a basic message there of being nice, which has some merit. Kindness is important, it's a fruit of the spirit being nice, being positive. Then therapeutic, I'm gonna embrace whatever messages make me feel good about myself. Whatever messages make me feel good about myself, then I'm gonna take those in. And on the one hand, it tells us there's a great need for healing in our land, and a lot of people are hurting, and a lot of people have low self-esteem, a lot of people have been abused, hurt, pushed down, and there's a desire to rise up. But the problem is, if there's no filter, then I'm just going to take any message that makes me feel good. In deism, that God exists, he's distant, he's not that involved, but ultimately God wants me to be happy. That's God's great design and purpose for my life, is for me to be happy. So what you have is a mixture of some good things, like kindness and some empowerment, but the danger is that people can go from feeling deflated and hopeless to swinging over and inflated. And it's interesting that Barna says in his research, this worldview is the most popular worldview in America right now. And shouldn't we be aware that this is the most popular worldview in America right now? And the report is that Christianity is being twisted kind of from the inside out. And the shift that happens there that's subtle is instead of God's word being reliable, I'm going to rely most on what I think. 
in my opinion. And instead of Jesus being at the center, I'm gonna come in to the center and be the center. And that shift right there is not from God. It's not from God. And yes, God wants to have, lead us to an abundant life, but the abundant life doesn't come from me first, self-centered, whatever makes me happy. That's not where the abundant life is. The abundant life is Jesus Christ is Lord. Follow him and be secure in his love and in a relationship with him. That's, that's a very important distinction, and I just want to tell you how many Christians are just letting go of the gospel and running for this worldview. Now, that was a lot. Uh, short book doesn't mean short sermon. So uh, <laughs> let's just keep going before we go too long. Question number two, what is a healthy limit that you can set? There's a paradox here, and I think you picked up on it. There's tension here. The apostle of love is telling us to shut the door. What? The apostle of love is telling us, no, don't let them come into the house. We've got to unpack this because there could be a lot of misperceptions from these verses. Now, here's the situation. They had the Romans road and roads for traveling. They had teachers going around spreading the gospel. They had false teachers spreading a very different message. They're both traveling along the Roman road. There are no embassy suites, can you imagine, along the Roman road. There are no days in. There's no ESPN, can you imagine, along the Romans Road. So how do the people make it as they travel? They have to find a place to stay with someone. Free lodging, free food, the support that you need. We're here for you. You need a little extra money before you go? Here's some extra money. John is saying be discerning. Don't open up your home to these traveling false teachers and say, oh, come on in, or think it's the Christian thing to do, is just to say, yeah, come on in, free lodging, free food. What other money do you need? Because if you do that, a couple of things. You're gonna end up sometimes believing what they're teaching. You're gonna water down truth in that way, you're going to publicly align with them and you're going to confuse people. And John says, ultimately, you're going to lose your rewards. You're not going to lose your salvation, but you're going to lose rewards. Do you know that there's rewards in heaven? I would be remiss if I didn't tell you that there are massive rewards in heaven. You can't earn your way to heaven. It's 100% grace. But what we do on earth, oh, it's very, very important. And rewards in heaven are real. They're for you, and they motivate that God is so generous, and let's be faithful down here on earth. And, uh, and, and so what we choose to do and how we steward relates to rewards in heaven, and John lays all of this out. Now, this is where I don't want the passage to get twisted. This passage does not teach that someone who doesn't know Jesus is less than you in any way. Don't look down upon someone who's a false teacher. This passage does not teach that you shouldn't open your home to someone who doesn't follow Jesus. Please open your home to people who don't follow Jesus. Have meals together. We have this off in our home. I love people who don't love Jesus. I have so many family members who don't love Jesus. Uh, this passage is not saying hospitality is wrong. Uh, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, we're honored you're here. You're not in the wrong place. You don't have to leave. You're not second rate. Like, we love it that you're here. Jesus loves everybody. This passage is about false teachers and supporting them and bringing them into your home where you're publicly aligning with them 
It, you know, in some ways it would be as if there was false teaching on social media and you type in the comments, I agree, I love this, I love this. And people would say, what's going on? How can you love this? This is different than the Bible. So that's the message here. Uh, and, and with it, this is what we need to know. Limits and boundaries are important. Saying no is important. Setting limits is part of following God. And uh, you say, well, it doesn't feel Christian to set a limit. <laughs> Actually, it is Christian. It's biblical to set limits. And uh, this is what can happen. I think many people bring an unintentional enabling. There might be well-intentioned Christians in this culture here that say, oh, well, the loving thing to do would just be to let them come in and have some stuff and give them more food for the road. And they're unintentionally enabling. And we want to be careful in life that we're not unintentionally enabling. I was listening to a pastor as I was away on vacation bring a message, and he was counseling this mom. And this mom came in to counsel with him, and the mom said, I keep bailing my son out of jail. I keep bailing him out of trouble, paying for everything, bailing him out of jail. And the pastor asked, well, how old's your son? Well, almost 50. And she said, but my son's my baby. And he has a good heart. And the pastor said, that's not your baby. That's a grown man. At 50 years old, no one's a baby. That's a grown man. And, and you might say he has a good heart, but he's got a lot of sin. And sometimes if we're always bailing people, we don't let them experience consequences, there's no accountability, and we're always coming to the rescue, and we're always fixing, and we're always providing for that, people don't grow up. And you know what else happens when you enable other people? You get resentful. You get resentful because deep down you know that they're not growing and you're getting worked and maybe God isn't in this. And, and that's the combination and, and that was happening, that unintentional enabling. Uh, church membership, let's talk about that for a second. Uh, he's talking to a church and in church membership, church membership's a gift, it's important. What is church membership? It's basically just a commitment saying this is my church family and this is my church home. And instead of hopping from church to church and what's cool today and what's cool tomorrow and let me do that and I'm gonna hop over here and do that. No, you, you find a church home, you go deep in relationships and you serve and you know, you're part of that family. Church membership, uh, not just anyone can be a church member. You say, well, that sounds like it's a limit. Well, there is a limit there. Uh, to be a church member, you align with the church in terms of their beliefs. Say, so why is that important? For someone to be a teacher at Grace or a shepherd, you're a church member. And to vote, you're a church member. I encourage you, if you're not a church member, it's a pretty simple thing. I lead the class. You know, you can take it, learn about Grace. You can become a church member. Uh, but that's important because in some churches, if there's no clarity and I'm talking about the majors of the faith. We're not legalistic here at all. Uh, and, and yet the majors of the faith, if you just say, yeah, you go teach the kids this, and you go teach the high school students that, and you teach the young adults this, and you counsel with that advice, and just go for it, and everyone do what you want, whoa, you got a mess. I mean, it's like the book of Judges. You know, everyone's doing right in their own eyes. And so this aligns us with Scripture, and church membership's important. Um, those limits, being um, faithful to God, is going to include limits. And the Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And that has to do with keeping your word. Uh, but also make sure of this, that you don't say yes to what God says no to. And you say no to what God says yes to. 
Because the more you say yes to what God says no to, the harder it is to then do what God's actually calling you to do. Because you've got so much sideways energy, you've said yes to so many people and things, you're trying to please everybody. This is a temptation. If you're trying to keep everyone happy, you're trying to please everyone, you're trying to fit into this world, and you're just saying yes, 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 you might find out that you're not actually in your lane and calling to what God is leading you to do. So say yes to what God is saying yes to. Say no to what God is saying no to. Prayerfully prioritize and set limits. And that leads to the third question. What um, protects love and spreads the gospel? And as a Christian, I really believe, as a follower of Jesus, we are for much more than we're against. There are some things that we have to be against or draw lines on and protect, and you see it in this passage. There's no question. We want to be faithful to the text. Overall, when you read scripture, it's much more about what are we for than what are we against. John is for loving one another. Jerome, the historian, in about 400 AD, reports that John, at the end of his life, kept saying the same three words, love one another. He was frail at the end of his life, and they would bring him in. They would even have to carry him in. And he would say, love one another. And he'd keep repeating it, love one another. And for those of you who don't like repetition, you might just leave John's church. But he would say, love one another and love one another. And he'd say, well, why do you keep saying love one another? We get the concept. He said, because this is God's command. This is God's heart that you love one another. And if you really love one another, so many other things are going to come together. Love one another. Don't we need that in the body of Christ? Don't we need that beyond the body of Christ? That we love each other with the love of Jesus. I can't think of anything more important in our relationships that we love each other well. And what an opportunity for the church to rise up and live that out. Uh, I want to show a picture. I don't use a lot of landscaping metaphors because I don't do a lot of gardening, but I did this week. And uh, it was my wife's vision Uh, She has more of the the landscaping vision. I'm more about soccer in the backyard. But uh, we went with her vision this week. And what what are those, um, what's that black layer right there? Who knows what that is? What do we put down? Yeah, weed barriers. I heard someone say weed barriers. Maybe there's a prize for you. Talk to me afterwards. Weed barriers. So what we have at our house, weeds growing constantly. Does anyone else have a lot of weeds? Does anyone else get a lot of uh, action picking weeds and just get tired of picking weeds? Okay, my people, you're you're following me on this one so far. I mean, we just kept getting more and more of this stuff because it's like, yeah, we don't want to pick weeds over there. And yeah, we don't want to pick weeds over here. It's starting to sound like a commercial. We did go to Home Depot late night to get more of this stuff. And why? Because we wanted to put a limit on the weeds. Do you see the parallel between the weeds and the false teaching? They rise up. More of this. I'm dealing with that again. We're picking this out again. Uh, Spreading everywhere. It'll take as much space as you give it. It'll take over. And uh, so we put this on. And then we got the mulch. And we got the kids involved too. And uh, the mulch, beauty bark, as some people prefer to call mulch. And, And we got the mulch and we took a day and just spread it out. Put it everywhere. And can you see the difference? If you saw the before and the weeds, that's the picture I don't have. The sermon illustration came later. I was focused on the landscaping. Then later it was like, there's a sermon illustration that's Second John. But it looks so much better. We're not dealing with weeds. And now look at that. There's space without weeds 
to bloom, to blossom, and you see it clearer than ever. And uh, what John's saying is there's some spiritual landscaping to do. And in your house, you're going to need to say, no, not in my house. You're going to say, we're going to shut the door, not in my house. That false teaching, we don't embrace it here. Because when you get rid of false teaching, it makes room for the gospel. Instead of watering down things. I was talking to a pastor this week in the sound at a big church, and he said this is what he's seen at his church. This is what he's seen statistically across the country during the pandemic. There's one group, followers of Jesus, that are doubling down, and their passion's increasing, their commitment to the word, their hunger. They are living for the Lord, and it's stronger than ever. You can feel the renewal and the revival that God is bringing. And then there's another group that was kind of nominal going into the pandemic, and a lot in this group are just kind of wandering. Little homebrew, little bit of this, little bit of that. I think I'm going to live this way. And then there's a lot of people who don't know Jesus that are really looking in, that are watching online, that are asking questions, that want to meet, that want to talk, that are coming to church, and they're looking in. And all this is happening during the pandemic. And I think what was happening there, as John writes, is happening here today. And I believe that this is a time where it's so important to be focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. You might think the gospel, everybody knows what the gospel is. No. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He's the Messiah and Savior of the world. He died in our place. He was buried. Three days later, risen. He overcame death. And this is a relationship with God, peace with God, in God's family forever, available for everyone. Every nation, tribe, every background, a relationship with God. The gospel. We need to be fluent in the gospel. We need to be clear about the gospel. We need to spread the gospel wider. We need to be bold about the gospel. Because the bolder the false teaching gets, and the more pervasive the false teaching gets, it's just not our response to kick back and go, oh yeah, look what's happening. False teachers everywhere. Yep, there they go. More people confused. More people don't understand the gospel. I knew it. Oh, our country. No, we thank God for our country. We love everyone. And let's be faithful with the gospel. And the same truth when Jesus lived is the same for today. And uh, I believe uh, the, the reason I have passion is I just, my prayer is that grace would be all she can be. That we together would be all God has designed us to be. And this is what's encouraging. Usually in the summer months, what happens, to be honest, is that less and less people come to church in the summer. But you know what's happening this summer? More and more people are coming to church. Usually what happens in the summer, the spiritual temperature and the passion kind of goes down. You know what's happening this summer? The spiritual temperature at Grace is rising this summer. And in the summer, there's usually less stories of transformed lives, of going deep with Jesus. You know what's happening this summer? More stories. Lives changed through Jesus and through the gospel. I want to close with this encouragement. I got a call this week from Brian, and uh, Brian is a friend When I was a pastor, uh, lead pastor down in Northern California, Brian came to know the Lord, 
We baptized Brian, and I gave him a study Bible. And it's been, you know, I check in every couple years with Brian. We don't walk closely together. Brian gave me a call this week and gave me an update. You know, Brian took a job then, and he started to become a lead with a zipline tour. And it's a Christian camp, zipline. People come from all over the world, you know, all backgrounds, all beliefs. They come, he gets a chance to meet them, share Jesus with them. It's a zipline ministry, and he just kept moving up in terms of leadership. And now he is the camp pastor. And that's new. He is the camp pastor and uh, radically transformed his life. And now he was calling this week because he's trying to decide between two seminaries because he feels a calling on his life to be a chaplain. And this is what Brian said. He said, Jesse, you know, when I got baptized and you gave me a study Bible, he said, I just want to let you know that I read that Bible all the time. And that Bible has made such a difference in my life, in my relationship with God. And I'm growing so much through that study Bible. And Jesse, I want to let you know that I've now given away eight study Bibles to people. And he says, every time I give one away, I think, you gave me that study Bible. And now I'm giving away a study Bible. And I give them to people who are seeking God or people who really want to know the Bible and have a hunger for God and his word. And I just give away the study Bible. He says, every time I do it, I just think, Jesse, you gave me that Bible. Disciple making disciples. Now I'm leading people, Lord. Now I'm giving away study Bibles. And, and he says, I bought a lot more and I plan to give a lot more away. And I think this is the gospel, and this is the word, and, uh, and this is what God's doing, and this is where we say yes to the Lord. Yo, subscribe to the YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to this channel.